Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. I am here interviewing Alika Seki, owner of Maui's Comics and Collectibles. Um, he is also one of the co-hosts of the Nerd Watch, a podcast um, directly from Maui. He's also an advisor of the Overstreet Price Guide. And Alika is the president of the nonprofit board and co-founder of the Maui Comic Con. Alika, how are you doing today? Great, Jason. Thanks for having me. No, Alika, thank you. Know, thanks, thank you. Thank you for letting me interview you again, man. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm happy. You know me. I'm happy to talk. Yeah. <laughs> See what it's about comics. Oh, yeah. So I just want to give listeners just a background, you know, of how we know each other. So we met um, face-to-face back in 2017. It's been five years, man. Uh, at, yeah, I know, at the amazing Comic-Con. That doesn't um, was, seem that long ago, too, but it really kind of was. Yeah. Um, you know, I, entered a, I interviewed Alika for the Comic Book Page podcast, and if you want to check out that episode, it's the Retailer Spotlight number four that came out on August 4th, I'm sorry, October 4th at, on 2017. And basically, you know, throughout the years, we kept in touch with each other once in a while through email. Um, the reason I'm doing another interview um, with Alika is, you know, basically is to promote what he and his friends are doing um, with the comic book scene in Maui, in Maui. And I have to tell you, listeners, it is amazing what they are doing over there. Now, Alika, where can listeners follow you on social media? So we have a Facebook and an Instagram page. If you just search on Facebook, Maui Comics, uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll pop up. And um, on Instagram, we're at Maui underscore comics. And oh, so for the Maui Comic Con, we've also got a website, MauiComicCon.com. And uh, we also have a Facebook and Instagram for the Maui Comic Con. You can find us on there. Okay, that's pretty cool. Now, um, I, I know, you know, like I said, we did an interview before, but I'm just like for new listeners, like, where did you grow? I, some of these questions are going to be repetitive, but sure, yeah, where, yeah, did, yeah. where did you grow up? So, okay. My parents have an interesting, my dad is a local boy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, his, his dad uh, founded the Seki Machine Works in Wailuku. Um, that, so that's our family. My cousin Tom is running that right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he went to the Air Force, mm-hmm. and that's where my mom was a rebellious uh, teenager, daughter of, uh, you know, um, my, grand, my, my mom's dad was a, a Baptist pastor from the South, uh, and she was kind of rebellious, black sheep kind of thing, and, you know, and she was actually looking to get disciplined uh, and go into the military. So my mom and my dad met in the Air Force on Vandenberg Air Force Base. And that's where I was born. I was okay. born on Vandenberg Air Force Base when, um, and then after I was born, we moved back to uh, Maui. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Maui when I was really young. And then my uh, parents got separated um, in the late 80s. Oh, I'm sorry. And, so, and so I went to live with my mom for about five years. I stayed on the mainland mm-hmm. um, without having come back to Maui. And then I don't know. Well, you know, I was a kid. I didn't really understand what was going on with the divorce and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would start coming back and forth to Maui. I would live like a quarter of the year here. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Oh, so my my younger brother, my full brother, uh, he ended up getting in trouble with the police <laughs> and having to move back with my dad. So I was really the only one. of I have 
uh, six other siblings, mm -hmm. uh, seven other siblings, uh, so many other siblings. But um, I'm the only one who went to Boston. I did my high school in Boston. I went to college in mm -hmm. Massachusetts. I went to UMass Amherst. I earned my degree as a civil engineer, which is, I mean, that, that's my day job is a, I'm a licensed professional engineer. Um, but oh, always, 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 uh, I also have an interesting history with comics and I always keep coming back to it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, so I've had a really mixed background because I, um, during my adolescence and stuff, I spent a lot of time in Boston and there, there's a very vibrant comic scene and art scene there too. And so mm -hmm. I was in the nineties mostly was when I was there. Um, okay. Music, comics, there's just so much going on at that time. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of lucky to be able to experience it both ways. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sorry about your rough childhood, but I, 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 I trust me, I understand. Yeah, my, my parents divorced when I was young, too. So yeah. I, I think our generation, <laughs> we're just like a generation of uh, children of divorce. Yeah. It's, it's, we, I think we're the first generation where divorce was just so common. Yes. But coming from a generation prior where it wasn't common, so it really was kind of like this big trauma, and we were the generation trying to figure out how to live with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I'll be, I'll be honest. I mean, I think our generation took a lot of lumps on it and did a lot of growing and learning. Yes. And I think that's made it a lot better for this next generation coming out. I don't think it it's as painful a process as it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm sorry to hear about that. Oh, oh that was long. that was ages ago you know and the thing the thing about our generation mm -hmm. my parents are i love both of my parents dearly my my dad just recently passed away um but growing up is realizing that i'm grateful that they had me but they yeah. don't belong together you know what yeah. i mean like uh, you get nostalgic for um you know when you're a kid part of growing up is realizing you know what would happen if they got back together are they really that great for each other probably not <laughs> so I mean, I, and I love them both dearly. So it's, uh, yeah, every, everything worked out the best possible way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go off the cuff here and I'm sorry. Yeah. But I, I'm just going to, um, uh, go yeah, ahead, sorry, if you don't mind, uh, I, you mentioned that you spent your time in Boston. So I got to ask you, how was the lobster rolls over there? <laughs> the food was, and so in the nineties, it was like lobster was still super cheap, like crazy cheap. Yeah. You know, and if it was seasoned, yeah, it was like ridiculous. I remember like one of the biggest contrasts was, and then I, you know, I'd be over here mm -hmm. and I met this girl and I really wanted to impress her. And all that they have here is like spiny lobster, right? Not, yeah. the, you know, the main lobster is like the one with the big juicy claws and stuff. And I'm like, oh, you got to try this is so good. And I tried to find main lobster in Hawaii oh. and um, it was like $36 a pound. And this is back in like the nineties. And I was like, I got to get this for, I just like oversold it and oh man, but that, you know, back in Boston, it's like four or $5 a pound at the time. So it was like, <laughs> it was kind of crazy, but the food, the food there is delicious. The, the comic store that I really went to a lot um, when I was younger, uh -huh. uh, cause there's tons of comic stores there, but I really loved new England comics. That is, that is the, the store uh, that the tick came from. The tick was originally their mascot. But, um, yeah, um, Ben Edlund, I think, yes. is the creator. Yes. And he was, he was working on the newsletter, and he just, you know, obviously there's a Fox affiliate in Boston, a pretty big one, and uh, it became a Fox Saturday morning cartoon, and it was, like, kind of surreal. Oh, that's pretty cool. But that was, that was my favorite store to go to, you know? Mm -hmm. um, off the cuff, 
ever since the nineties, do you like once in a while, do you like visit Boston? Like maybe like once or twice? At least, you know, I, so I graduated college in 04. Uh huh. And then after that, I think I've been back maybe like three or four total times. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't get to go back often and not to mention, um, like my mom doesn't live there anymore. So there's not really, I have a few friends who are there that I try to connect with and stuff, but, um, it's a, it's an awesome city. I really yeah. do want to go back. I brought my children back and they, you know, uh, we stayed around Boston common. Anybody. Oh yeah. Into that area. The, like the, I like Boston because if you're on the common, no, depending on what part of the common you exit at, you're at like a different iconic part of that city. Mm -hmm. It's not as populated as New York, right? It's not as crowded. Mm -hmm. So you get the excitement of a big city, but without a lot of the hassle or problem. Not to say that there's no crime or trouble there, but it's on a totally different level than New York is like, mm -hmm. something will guaranteed go wrong. Boston is, you can have a nice day, mm -hmm. no trouble, and it's, you know. And then the times that you visit, it was New England Comics, is that the store? Was, were, were they still around? Are they still around? I haven't, I know they're still around because I follow okay. them on social media. Um, okay. There's another comic store that's based more on music in Boston that is located near the Boston Common called Newberry Comics. It's on Newberry Street, the mm -hmm. first location. And it was a record store that sold new comics. So you wouldn't go there to find like old back issues or like, you know, mm -hmm. silver, or bronze age stuff. Yeah. But you can find everything new and cool and a lot of underground stuff, uh, indie stuff like, you know, Peter Bag and all, all the fanographic stuff that would be around nowadays. They would be cool enough to have. Like Chasing Amy takes place in Boston, you know, oh, okay. and that's and that's Ben Affleck. And it's about the comic scene. And if you hung out anywhere in Boston in the 90s, mm -hmm. um, you know, like Kenmore Square, or Harvard Square, like these places where really intellectual people, but also there was that whole grunge and underground and indie thing going on. So a lot of DIY punk punkish stuff. And um, it's kind of a real fertile scene for comics. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, um, while you were growing up in Boston, you know, what comics did you, what comics or trades? So, or I mean, you know, it's, it's weird. Once you learn about what comics are, which is just like sequential art and stuff mm -hmm. like that, you know, I realized my exposure to comics is uh, way earlier, you know, because, you know, when I was growing up in Maui, my dad had a subscription to He-Man magazine. And obviously those are great comics. Looking back on it, the art's incredible. Those count as comics. Yeah. And that was like my first conscious memories, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I mean, I, that would obviously be it. And then as a kid, I really got into Garfield and yeah. Mad and Crack magazine, the typical kid stuff. Yeah. And you know, Saturday morning cartoon Garfield, he had a book and a cartoon and toys and all this. Um, and then when I moved to Boston, I, uh, so I carried through with Madden Cracked and Garfield and all that kiddie stuff. And then one summer when I came back to Hawaii, I was about 11 or 12 or something. And my uncle Dougie, this is my, cause they're different firsts for comics, right? My first Marvel comic, my first real, uh, X-Men comics. My uncle Dougie gave me three comics. Mm -hmm. Um, he gave me Wolverine 71 Excalibur 72 and uh, or Excalibur 71 or two um, the Alan Davis cover where uh, Nightcrawler is standing over or one of the characters is standing all the other characters in chains 
-huh. and X Factor 71, the Larry Stroman uh, first appearance of the new X Factor team. Okay, yeah. So those three were my first Marvel X books that my uncle Dougie gave me, and I like slept with those comics under my pillow. Like mm -hmm. I took them everywhere. I rolled them up in my pocket. Like yeah. I and I still have two of them. The other one was so destroyed. I I guess I threw it away at one point. But mm -hmm. I've you know each each time I'm introduced to a different kind of comic, mm -hmm. uh, and this being like superhero and Marvel and yeah. the stuff that people generally think of when they hear about comics. Like that was like really grabbed me because that was the '90s where everything was about the X Men. Yes, and and it was everywhere. Like comics were big business. People were actively trying to sell to kids, oh and like everything mm -hmm. they tried to sell to me, I wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. So the so the first hero books is like the early '90s for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, now. I'm going to start moving on to um, the store, Maui's Comics and Collectibles. Now, first off, where is it located? Now we're located inside Request Music on Market Street. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, we're, we're using like uh, the inside corner as you walk in on the right. Mm -hmm. we're, on the, we're in the corner in there. And the Request guys help us out all the time. They make sales for us. And, and I'm just, you know, maintaining the bins and maintaining the new issues, making sure it's all there for everybody. Um, and uh you know joe joe alouetta the owner of uh request music he in the 90s was somebody I, i've said this on cartoonist cafe but i used to buy comics from him he used to have a store called joe's comic corner which was essentially the same setup he was inside another store it was called mm -hmm. annie's bookstop it was across the street and inside annie's bookstop was joe's comic corner mm -hmm. joe became the owner of uh, request music and so he was he was more than open to having me rent out a corner it was essentially the same thing he was doing in the 90s so that is so awesome <laughs> oh i you know i when i realized and made the connection because when i first approached him i didn't know that was him that yeah. was the same show and then when i made the connection i was like oh my god that's so cool yeah it's all my it's kind it's kind of almost like a full circle because like you it said Joe i used to buy comics from him as a kid i bought my copy of x-men number one what that was the story I bought it at. Oh, the, is it the the gym? Wait, no, the X Men gym. Yeah, the gym. Oh, the four okay, four right, yeah, right, okay. All right. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, and then um, and then now, correct me if I'm wrong. So Ma Maui Comics and Collectibles. Correct me if I'm wrong. Has been around since 2015. Correct. Yeah, we uh we opened our doors February of 2015. Was our grand grand opening. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, and then. I'm going to ask, so what made you decide to open a comic shop? Maui just needed one. I, so I met my mentor, Bruce Ellsworth, yes. um, in 2010. Mm -hmm. And we, he kind of, that was my reintroduction to comics. I left comics during college. Uh, okay. After college, I had like one long box left that I just had sitting around. Mm -hmm. And it, I actually was going to sell the last of my comics to Bruce, but instead... We just sat and talked for hours. He educated me on a lot of stuff. And I ended up, uh, you know, going with him and, and learning a lot about the, mm -hmm. And I, I was begging him. This is 2010. Uh, five years have gone by since Perry has closed his shop. So there's no shop on Maui. And I'm like, Bruce, please, are you going to open a store? Mm -hmm. You know, I just met him out. And he was like, no, it's too much work. I don't want to do it and this and that. And so I was like, well, that's that. I guess nobody's opening a comic store. 
And I, I remember the, what, one of the last few times we were talking, we'd go hang out at his house. And this was 2013 when he passed. Um, one of the last times we were talking, he's, he just turns to me and goes, whatever happened to that comic store you wanted to open? And I look at him and I go, I didn't want to open a comic store. I wanted you to open a comic store. And, he's, and he was just like, oh, man, it'd be great if we you know, had a comic store to hang out at. And I was like, you were just telling me it's too much work. And he was like, yeah. because So Bruce owned a chain of comic stores in the 80s. He owned a very successful chain called Tropics Comics and based out of Florida, but he had stores, he had multiple stores across many states. Um, and so I was like, I don't know anything about doing a comic store. Why would you think I would open a comic store? Yeah. And he passed in, but every, when he was talking about that, really planted the seed. I was like, if nobody else is opening a comic store, then I guess I have to, because I <laughs> couldn't, I didn't really meet anybody I knew who was going to be passionate enough about comics, want to see a comic store open enough, know enough about comics, which I'm not saying I do. I definitely uh, depended on, on the knowledge of a lot of other people mm -hmm. who helped me along the way. And I'm so grateful for the whole community for always being so supportive and, and helping me out because mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do this on my own. Um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy process, but I just wanted to see a comic store here. Mm -hmm. And around 2013 I realized that it would have to be me if anybody mm -hmm. and then I spent the next two years just doing some research and getting it all together and then 2015 all the pieces kind of fell into place but opening a comic store for anybody who wants to do it is like a really extreme game of double dutch there's so many things that if you want everything to happen at the grand opening uh and not incur more costs than you have to like the timing it's like threading a needle so that was one thing that was a challenge but luckily we got that right so we we had that working for us that's pretty good before i continue on now now i know also because a couple things is now before i move on because your mentor your mentor bruce he, now correct me if i'm wrong because i had to look at listen to the um, old in, um interview he was the first collector to sell Superman number one for five figures. Is that correct? Yeah, in somewhere in the early 80s, I think <laughs> 1984 maybe, he was on CNN for it. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, it was just like another milestone. There are many comic buyers and sellers who make these landmark sales all the time mm -hmm. throughout the history from the 60s on. Yeah. But this was a big one in the 80s that kind of brought it to the mainstream uh, where, where, you know, that's where the mainstream is starting to look at it like, wow, that's... Uh, now people who aren't just comic nerds are like financially interested in what happens with comics. And that's kind of like the precursor to a lot of the, the new interest that's coming back to comics mm -hmm. uh, through the late eighties and into the nineties comic boom, you know? Yeah. And then also too, is that um, because 1985 was um, DC's um, 50th anniversary, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And the other thing is my mentor, Bruce Ellsworth is the the grandnephew of Whitney Ellsworth, who was the editor of DC Comics when Superman and Batman uh, came out oh. in the 30s. Yeah, so he, so he has a pretty deep pedigree in the comics lore. Um, and, but he's such a nice, unassuming, humble guy um, and was up until the day he passed. He was, you know, uh, you wouldn't really know it, but he had these fantastic stories about uh, people in the industry. He... You know, he's a contemporary of all those big collectors like Krasansky and all and all them. Um, he discovered the Blankus Salida collection. 
He, uh, he was a mentor to Harley Yee, who is a major comic seller um, okay. that people really know. Yeah, yeah, he was a big, uh, big influence. And then now I know you, because I know um, back in 2017 when you talked about Bruce, you mentioned that specific collection. What was that collect? Can you explain to the listeners? Blanket Salida collection? Yeah. Uh, so this was a, uh, uh, somebody who was um, handicapped and homebound. Uh, this, this man uh, through the 40s and 50s collected comics and he would go to the store, buy a comic, read it once, put a piece of mylar in between it and the next one and just put them in stacks. And he just had stacks and stacks of comics in cabinets and chests. And so Bruce uh, went down there sometime in the 80s when he discovered this collection uh, after this guy had passed and, uh, and the family showing it. And there were a few trunks. And he said that uh, there was one of the trunks was directly under a leak in the roof. So there's water. Mm -hmm. and, and so he opened the trunk and that trunk had all the superhero comics in it. Oh. And so the, he literally held a copy of Superman one in his hand as it turned to dust. And so he said it was one of the most heartbreaking things, but then he looked at the stuff that survived yeah. all this high grade, uh, atomic age, they call it the 1950s, uh, post-World mm -hmm. War II, um, pre-code horror and sci-fi mm -hmm. and, and war books. And, and so that was, those are the books that everybody knows from the blanket Salida collection. Not too many people realize that, there was a whole superhero component that was utterly destroyed mm -hmm. um, by water. Uh, but that was, that was a, a pedigreed collection that really put Bruce on the map. Wow. That's the one that people bring up when mm -hmm. they talk about him. Um, off the cuff question, did Bruce ever mention like, um, like any of the, those um, pre-code comics, did anyone like stand out for him and he passed on a story to you about, hey, I remember seeing... Art Pressman's first art, artwork or, you know. I, I mean, all of that stuff was in there. And this is a point in mine and his relationship where he's still educating me. Uh -huh. So I, I probably wouldn't have been too savvy if he was like dropping names and, and titles and things like that. Um, I, think, I think what stuck with me more is the fact that he found all those hero books that now are worth uh, that whole trunk would have been like in the, in the you know, seven or eight figures uh, if it had survived. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just thought that was cool that that was part of the story that isn't really told often. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really incredible. Um, let's see. Um, I'm gonna, um, sorry, Alika, I'm gonna, no, I, no I want to um, correct me if I'm, do you, do you, correct me if I'm wrong, and, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine, but, uh, you, you, do you, because I remember you were doing something for Bruce, like in, in memory of Bruce or something. Was it some type of yearly auction thing? Yeah, I mean, so anytime we have a live comic auction at a fundraiser, I, you know, I just call that the Bruce Ellsworth Memorial Comic Auction. When Maui Comics does a comic auction, it, we always think about Bruce because, the, uh, you know, when he was alive, there was this place uh, that would do auctions every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would just auction off, you know, different lots. But then this one guy, Sean, uh, really nice gentleman, um, uh, he, he does antiques and collectibles and they would give him the floor for about an hour or so. And that's when the whole crowd at the Sunday auction would change and all the comic collectors and, and coin collectors, because this guy 
was he would start auctioning stuff that we all wanted to see, like comics and cars. And me and Bruce would always go down. Bruce would be there in his uh, in his um, wheelchair with his wife Melody up up in the front row, you know. And you know, me and Bruce would be like, you know, let's try not to bid against each other, man, because you know I'm going to share with you, you're going to share with me. And, yeah. And, but we know each other's interests and stuff. Um, and uh, he loved that live comic auction, and I loved it too. I mean, that is something I really miss. Mm-hmm. I wish. I wish we could do that every weekend like we used to. Um, we haven't done one in a while. Mm-hmm. But when we do have a trade night, and I don't yeah. know if you caught it, uh, our, our trade night, I didn't realize we were pioneers in any way on what we were doing. I just thought we were having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but our trade night uh, was actually featured in one of the first articles on Shortboxed, the comic app. Um, a, a gentleman from, uh, from San Francisco, the Bay Area, wrote an article and, um, and interviewed me for it and another comic store in Brooklyn. And this guy travels all over. So he's really um, into the national comic scene mm-hmm. and we're heavily referenced in the article. And that it was a really well-read article uh, because it's on the short box app, which is used by thousands of comic collectors. And it was their first article ever. Um, so we really appreciated that. Um, uh, is, his screen name is Oman Comics on Instagram. Uh, O-H-M-A-N mm-hmm. um, blanking on his first name so I truly apologize but that was that was a great time to share what our community is about because you know our trade nights are all about everybody getting together having a good time including the comic auction but mm-hmm. we 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 haven't had one in a while oh okay um, and just and just for listeners and and in case anyone's listening sometime in the future because right now you guys are not doing it because of the pandemic correct or is it yeah, just- I mean, that was the main reason we stopped doing them. I was, <laughs> I keep trying to want to jump and then something else happens. Like now the Omicron yeah. variants out and it probably isn't wise to encourage gathering again. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the community is raring to go. Everybody I talk to on an individual mm-hmm. basis, like the Maui Comic Con this year, uh, there was so many things working against us. Yes. But what happened this year was beautiful. It was, could not have gone better. It, like I it was a truly blessed experience like I don't think uh, I, it couldn't have gone better you know it was amazing I'm gonna point back and I'll circle around back to that you're talking about the Maui Comic Con that happened in this Dece- last month December right yeah 2021 okay. Maui yeah. Comic Con. Okay. so we'll, we'll touch bases on that because there is a great story I want to ask you okay sorry I'm going to continue on so um you know, besides selling comics, you know, what else do you guys sell in the store? I mean, we used, when we had a larger space, it would be all kinds of stuff. We'd do gaming and, uh, and things like that. We don't really have the space for that anymore. Oh, okay. Being inside Request Music. So we narrowed it down to comics. Uh-huh. The only other thing we really cater to aside from comics now is maybe retro video games. Yeah. Um, you know, and some toys, but we don't really like to compete with big box stores who get the same toys as us. Mm-hmm. So we'll really only carry like diamond exclusive. Uh, they call it PX exclusive, um, which only comic stores can get. We'll get some of those here and there, but it's not like a gigantic selection. Our, our, the bulk of what we do is comics and we'll have like um, retro video games mm-hmm. and things like that. Okay. Now um, I know you said the focus right um, in the store right now is just, you know, selling comics besides the big two. What other publishers do you carry? Well, uh, so obviously uh marvel and dc are the big ones right mm-hmm. and then diamond still does we still have a diamond account that we don't order any marvel and dc from 
So all of the mainstream indies that are uh, able to distribute through Diamond, like uh, Image or mm -hmm. Fantagraphics mm -hmm. or um, Boom or, you know, IDW, it's like almost, there's like, they're now this weird sub-level. It feels weird to call them indie comics, but since they're not Marvel or DC, that's what we call them by default. Yes. But they're at this strata where they're distributed by Diamond, right? So mm -hmm. not necessarily as indie as... Uh, as the name indie it evokes, but we also carry that lower tier self-published indie stuff um, that, and not lower tier, I'm, I mean like lower tier on the distribution chain yeah. um, where you're buying directly from the creators or mm -hmm. publisher uh, and things like that. And that's most of Hawaii creators operate that way where they're self-distributing, self-printing self and uh, you know stocking themselves. Um, I, I feel like there's so much creators here that uh, there's a way to organize that better and maybe it'll evolve eventually. Yeah. Um, because Hawaii creators are doing a lot of killer content and comics don't make sense as a regional thing. Uh, you know, the market is small enough already. Mm -hmm. So uh, to narrow yourself to a small part of an already small market is difficult. Yes. And I think that Hawaii creators deserve so much more attention. Um, there's got to be a way to tie them into the mainstream and uh, make it easier for indie creators to interface with a distributor. Maybe that's that's a better way to put it. I, I'm just going to give you this it's off the cuff. You know, do um, uh, you want to give out any shout outs to any of the local? Uh, there are so many, like, I, I, I this is, I love, the shouting them out, but I hate it because I know I always miss people. I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, it's like, I automatically, you know, the godfather of Hawaii comics, the first guy to do a nationally recognized superhero comic was Sam Campos. Yes. And uh, always got to shout him out. Got to shout out the artist of my t-shirt and your t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's Francine Walraven's art. And she mm -hmm. is uh, an amazing talent who has... Mm -hmm. done nothing but make the Maui Comic Con look good. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're a very small operation, but her artwork always is next level. Um, you know, Todd Bernardi's on Maui. He's part yeah. of the Nerdwatch too. Um, yeah. He, you know, what's now disbanded, but uh, still a very vibrant uh, association of people who are from the Hawaii Comic Book Alliance. Anybody who is associated with that, like uh, Chris Carvalho from Mana Comics, Mm -hmm. And other Mana Comics alumni like Chris Lohman and uh, DJ Cavicani, who also does First Watch Studios. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of zine publishers like Drew Gutierrez. He's amazing, yes. great. Yeah. Uh, Chase Tokutaro here on Maui, the mm -hmm. first zine ever published by Maui Comics, because uh, we're trying to get into that um, publishing game a little bit, because uh, we know so many creators that, you know, need a platform need a way to get their work out there. And, uh, you know, the list goes on. There's just so many, uh, Casey Horimoto, um, yes. does a lot of the anime and, and manga style stuff. Uh, John Murakami, obviously workhorse. That's the thing is like, these names will just keep coming. I could like just ramble for an hour listing names, Mark Gould, Art Wong. Like, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, that's the thing is like, I, we only have so much time here, yeah. but I, I shout out everybody. There's, Absolutely. If you're making comics in Hawaii, I love you to death, whether we've met or not. And so shout out to everybody in and from Hawaii making comics, everybody from the very smallest person doing it with pen and ink and handing out 
you know, individual notebook zines to people up to read Kikuo Johnson, who's the cover artist for the New Yorker magazine, uh, Maui boy, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or Stan Sakai, shout out to Stan Sakai, Honolulu boy. Yeah. Um, Dennis Fujitake, Corky uh, oh, Trinidad, his son Lorenzo Trinidad, Nobuyuki. Yeah. Man, like it is an embarrassment of riches in Hawaii. It just doesn't stop. Like you could, you could just spin the wheel, pick a name, <laughs> amazing work, go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Hawaii is the place right now. It is like later on in comics history, people will be like, these people were just like drowning in it and they didn't even know. You know, and so our job, our job, and I really appreciate what you do, uh, Jason, in bringing attention to a lot of this stuff is there's just so much to be brought attention to. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for your podcast and your work in it. Yeah, I, it's just a small little thing. That's all it is. It's and passion, also, man. I, lo- I love it. I appreciate it. Also to any local artists, if Alika forgot to mention your name, don't. It's not that oh, I forgot to. It's yeah, just that there are thousands. Kaimana Yamada just dropped issue two of Gamma Dice, available at Maui right. Comics right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I have to stop myself because I know yeah. we only have so much time. <laughs> All right. Um, now, I know like during, during the pandemic, during 20, the 2020 shutdowns, um, and I know um, we had the in-store capacity restrictions. You know, how did, how did um, Maui's Comics and Collectibles, you know, adapt during those crazy times? You know, for comic stores in general, it was a really dicey. Comics before the pandemic were, there was in the news, a lot of stores closing down. Mm-hmm. It was not a good industry to begin with. We're not in, uh, have a strong position. And I, you know, a lot of people give me crap about saying that Diamond was part of that, but Diamond is part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diamond being a non- monopoly. And so there, the growing pains of losing Diamond at the beginning of the pandemic as the monopoly, I thought had to happen. I thought that was a great thing for the industry. It's proving to be a great thing for the industry. I, people are like, oh man, it's so difficult to deal with multiple distributors. It's like, is it? It's not. Um, Penguin. Uh, you know, they, they're going through their growing pains, but the, they're well informed by their, uh, the dealer base. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they're making the necessary changes. Lunar, you know, is down to a good science. There are pros and cons of both of them. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I'm doing better than when I was dealing with Diamond, to be honest with you. Um, Diamond, Diamond is still out of the three distributors now. Uh, everyone has their pros and cons, but they're, the things that were wrong with Diamond before are going more wrong. Mm. So th- it, this is a weird transition period for comics because it was something that needed to happen. Diamonds yeah. monopoly had to be broken up uh, for comics to grow. But I think this is a hopeful moment in comics for a lot of people were just doing it themselves. I think indie comics um, mm-hmm. have been growing steadily. Um, the rate of growth has been increasing uh, definitely during this pandemic too. Yes. Um, there's just more, more of the good stuff. So you know, it's, I, it's all hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, being a comic store through all that, we, you know, we took our lumps, we dealt with it. We, you know, we kind of took the reset as a time to, you know, it was good that there was all that shakeup with the distributors while the pandemic was going on because our customer base got interrupted, whether we liked it or not, kind of, kind of was the best time for it to be. A lot of people were like, it was bad timing. I was like, it's kind of good timing because 
you know, the customer base is affected. Uh, you don't have the same large customer base depending on you for during that time. Uh, so you can make the mistakes that you need to with the new distributor. Yeah. And those growing pain, those growing pains happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. If you don't mind me asking, how is the store doing today, right now? It's doing great. Yeah, I mean, the setup we have, if not for Request Music and the setup they gave us, we would have been history. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, so Joe has set us up for success. He's a small business guy. He's very pragmatic. He, you know, uh, he, he understands the pressures and the things that uh, Hawaii businesses have to deal with. Yes. Um, so we're, we're doing great now, and, but it's all thanks to working with, uh, you know, strong community members and, you know, and, and thanks to the strong community for supporting us. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, how is it to have big name creators? Because if I remember correctly, I think you guys had Frank Cho at the store um, last year doing signings, right? Was it Frank Yeah, Cho? Uh, he came, he was a major donor to, he was one of the reasons why we were able to have this year's Maui Comic-Con. He came to do a store signing Yes. Um, however many months ago before the Maui Comic-Con. And, you know, I'm taking zero credit for this. Everybody who comes to Maui falls in love with Maui. Uh-huh. And yeah. Frank is no different. He absolutely loves Maui. And uh, so it's, it's not really hard to get people to come back, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and Frank was so generous and he understood that this year's convention would be really difficult to have given the circumstance. And um, his donation really carried us uh, and, and made it possible. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's hard because when you're a big name in comics, there's a tendency to enter the machine, do your appearance. Mm-hmm. May, you maybe don't make the deep uh, community connections that maybe you did when you were a smaller artist. It's necessary because so many people want a piece of you. You got to kind of do it in an orderly fashion or else it all goes to hell. Um, but the thing about Maui is it's a smaller community anyways. Yes. And so even the ravenous bloodthirsty fans who just need a piece of Frank Cho or whoever, whatever big artist is coming, uh, it's not a lot of them and it's not really bothersome. Actually, those people get a lot of that, artist time they get a good intimate close-up experience they get to talk story with the guy mm-hmm. and forge a relationship and i think i think that's the the biggest benefit of the maui comic-con is is having these big name people and having them fall in love with the community so it's not your typical interaction with these people they're here essentially you know on vacation they're in maui they're having a good time it's a small con yeah. it's not like a high stress uh, situation. It's very laid back. The lines aren't miles long. It's like yeah. you can walk up to the table and talk story with, you know, Frank Cho and Liam Sharp. And this year was Ed Piscor, Jim Rugg, yes. Ernie Reyes Jr., yeah, um, his daughter Lotus Blossom. And people just walking up and hanging out and having a good time and f- having a meaningful uh, experience. And that, that's kind of like what, and our convention's free, so you can't beat that. I'm going to jump, I'm just going to jump ahead. So let's, since it's a great segue to Maui Comic Con, how did that come, how did that come about? The first Maui Comic, so I opened my comic store in 2015 uh-huh. and 
you know, uh, obviously you're in comics, there's only so many ways your thoughts can go and you start, oh, a convention. Okay, that's the next step. And so I really, I was planning a convention, but I'm really in my head. Like I, like I said, like 2013 is when I thought to open a store. 2015 is when I had all the pieces I felt comfortable. It took me two years to get that together. Mm-hmm. Likewise, in 2015, I started thinking about having a convention, um, you know, and I'm talking to certain community members about it and just like uh, not, you know, putting the pieces together and trying to get a feel for it. Um, so I had a plan that was a couple years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in comes, uh, I, I had a friend I had met right before I opened the store, Ken Gardner, uh, who's a big comic fan. And he, and he's like talking to me, he wants to do a comic con. And I've, I've got notes on the essential moving parts Mm-hmm. But nowhere near everything that I felt comfortable needing to ha- do a convention. So I tell him, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I, I team up with you and do a convention. And uh, I didn't think much of it because usually people have big plans and then they go and they, they realize how much work it takes and they don't do anything about it. And it, it, nothing ever happens. And I'm like, whatever. But I was still going to work on my plan regardless. A couple weeks later, Ken comes back to me and he goes, all right, man, we're on. Lahaina Cannery said yes. And I was like, what? <laughs> he said yes to what? And they're like, a comic convention. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and so, so that was um, the birth of the first Maui Comic Con. Ken Gardner uh, jumped right into the fire, very optimistic. And, you know, it, it turned out great. I think, you know, there are many forces if not just goodwill of the comic community working in the favor of Maui comic con, because um, we did that first con and it came together like magic. Uh, Todd Bernardi uh, had connections with all those Hawaii comic book Alliance artists. Mm -hmm. So we filled the local artist alley. Um, We had great vendors there Mm -hmm. and, and DJ Kavikani, his uncle, his literal real uncle is Steve Lealoha. So, (laughs) yeah. So it, (laughs) <laughs> and like, so all these moving parts and James Silvani, James Silvani is, uh, you know, the Darkwing Duck artist. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. They were working on a comic at that time. And so between Steve Lealoha, he brought his partner who just so happens to be the legendary Trina Robbins. Yes. And so, so many things came together in a good way for that first Maui Comic Con. Um, luckily, thankfully, and it went so well that we were like, we can do this every year. It's, uh-huh. it, and so we did. And, um, and that's how that was born was because of Ken Gardner, we got the Maui comic con when we did, it would have taken, if not for Ken, it would have taken me years to even, uh, felt comfortable dipping my toes in the water, let alone just having the event, but, um, baptism and fire, uh, and, and so Ken is the vice president of the Maui comic con board. Uh, it became a nonprofit in 2018. Uh, so for the first two years, it was just a partnership between me and Ken and we paid out of our own pocket. Uh, you know, the convention is free to the public. Yes. We, we actually didn't make any money. We lost money on the first two conventions, um, which is fine. It's basically like me and him paid for a comic party for the community. Uh-huh. This is something that me and him both talked about and we're very comfortable with. But after that, after the first two years, we're like, it's kind of expensive and we're not rich people. We're not, you know, well off uh-huh. as much as we'd like to pay for a yearly comic party for everybody. Yeah. We turned it into a nonprofit. Um, and, and fix some of the revenue streams mm-hmm. to where it can just feed itself without going into a deficit. And now it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a well-oiled machine, nonprofit board. 
and so many, so many incredible guests over the years that have yeah. come and become they're They, after coming here, they're literal parts of the Maui comic community. Um, they have personal connections, uh, to the fans, to the people yeah. in the industry locally, the creators. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like the literal Maui comic on Ohana. They, they just become a part of it. Frank Cho, he's, he's obviously enamored with the convention. He's, he's going to be here every year, you know, um, he, he's a part of us now. Nice. Now for, listen, sorry, um, Alika, now I'm going off the cuff because I know, I know you have many guests from the cons that came down. I, I, one of the other, um, the other past guests I remember clearly was, um, Eric Powell of the goon yes you got the t-shirt yeah francine wow. Walraven art but homage to the goon yes that's and same, the same year carl potts was there that's right um, carl potts that year was brought in as a donation uh from amy tokuda who is also wow. a very strong member of the oahu comic community um and uh so yeah it's it's all it's all a family affair everybody's kind of like you know it's it, basically it's just a big comic party for the community mm -hmm. um let's see oh uh, i'm gonna ask like how you know how do you guys figure out who to in you know invite or like uh, it's it i'm in a i mean i'm i'm in a situation where it's like it's difficult because we have a lot of people who want to come out here yes but we're a non-profit and we're you know kind of restricted by our budget so okay. there are, are so many amazing artists that deserve to come to Hawaii and that uh -huh. Hawaii deserves to experience. Uh -huh. But it's also a matter of um, managing, you know, uh, managing these potential guests in a way that, you know, it, first of all, we want to create a coherence to the convention. We want people who show up to have a good experience. Uh -huh. um, so it means like one of the main considerations we have for our guests is that they're people that we believe could create a good fan experience and have that individual up close one-on-one -on -one, um, experience uh, uh -huh. and, and, and enjoy fan interactions, I guess is another good way to put yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think maybe that's a main, if someone is notoriously not into fan interactions, does not like interacting with people, uh -huh. then we're like, okay, they're lower on the priority list, obviously. Yeah. Then there's, people who are just like talking to your uncle, like Stan Sakai is like, yeah, obviously we want to have him here every year. Mm -hmm. um, we, we really do prefer to have, even our headliners have connections to Hawaii, mm -hmm. but loving and appreciating Hawaii is really enough of a connection for us. If mm -hmm. you truly have love in your heart for Hawaii and, mm -hmm. and you appreciate the community and, and you share um, what, you, what you can with the community in a loving way, then that's a connection to Hawaii. We count that, you know, um, people who've never been to Hawaii before, but now absolutely love it. You know, uh -huh. Frank Joe is connected to Hawaii, you know, uh -huh. for the amount of aloha he gives to the community. Uh -huh. um, the people on in Hilo got an incredible fan experience through Enjoy Comics uh -huh. uh, with Frank, and those people have individual connections with him now. Um, and that, that, that really is, I guess, probably the only consideration uh, that goes into our guest selection mm -hmm. is how good of an experience will it be for that guest? We want that guest yeah. to have fun. Yes. Um, there are some guests who m maybe are too big for us right now, mm 
-hmm. that we don't necessarily have the infrastructure to provide them everything that they would need for an appearance. Yeah. Um, and we're working on that. We want to, we want to work with those people too. So it's, it's all, it, you know, there's no line of like, here's the people we want and here's the people we don't want. Yeah. We want everybody. We're yeah. just trying to figure out a way um, to make those interactions as, as good as possible. Yeah. No, that's a, yeah, that's, that's great. That really is. Um, my next question, and I'm joking on this part, don't <laughs> say any names. Have you ever got an email response saying, Rag, no, I can't come because I'm booked for another convention that weekend. Can I come oh, next year? Oh, geez, yeah, man. Oh, <laughs> you, have, you don't even want to know the people who almost <laughs> came to Maui. Don't tell me. <laughs> the, the thing is, they'll be back. So, yeah. um, these are just missed opportunities. They could have, it could have been like a sooner interaction, <laughs> but all these people who are like, Oh my goodness, I would be there except blank. Uh, yeah. You know, they all, they want to make it a point to be here. So it's not like that was the end of it. Yeah. So nothing, nothing terrible or catastrophic. <laughs> okay. Now I, I know you treat, you know, all your guests very well um, because I've, um, I follow Liam Sharp, and he follows me on Twitter. He posted this. Liam, on oh my man, he is one of the sweetest guys I have ever met in my life. Uh -huh. I didn't. I got to hang out with him a little bit, not as much as I would have liked. Um, yeah. What a sweet guy, man! I uh, and the thing is, I didn't. I'm a kid when I'm experiencing comics in the '90s. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that he was the artist on the Hulk when I was, you know, reading comics, or I didn't realize that he was the creator of Death's Head Two. Yeah. Until he, that, and that happens a lot because my, I, I'm, I make no bones about it. I'm, I don't know every comic in the world. I haven't read every comic in the world. I'm not Neo in the Matrix. I haven't downloaded it. So it's like my personal interaction, timeline of interaction, some things I just haven't gotten to yet. Mm -hmm. And, or I didn't realize because I was a kid that Liam Sharp is the artist behind all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I, of course, while he's here, I, everybody coming up to him with their books and stuff. I was like, he worked on that. Oh my God. And like, I, it, it clicks for me. Um, but what a sweet, sweet guy, man. I, I hope we see more of him. Uh, I hope we get to spend more time with him. Definitely, definitely a big, huge teddy bear of a guy. Nice. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you what he posted on Twitter because like I said, you know, you treat your guests. Very I don't have Twitter. So, <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Because I'm going to tell you what I saw because, he posted, um, he took pictures that he had dinner at Mama Fish House. He yeah, yeah, up. him and Frank and uh, the manager, they all went. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, and Ron Mars and Andy Deagle responded to his tweet. I, I, somebody sent me a screenshot of that. I saw it. It was like Ron Mars going, dude, you know? <laughs> it's, it's a very difficult restaurant. You have to reserve tables like three to six months out to get a table at that place it's impossible that's what he posted <laughs> that's what liam sharp posted and he said that you're great in getting him yeah i believe it was him and his wife right yeah i you know the thing is we're we don't have a lot of money uh -huh. but the one thing that maui comics maui comic con uh is we're all about the community. The community is all about us. And so uh, it's like a little like fight club. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we're, 
we're friends. We have friends everywhere. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, where, and it was a, it was a connection that we were happy to provide to help, help them get a reservation there. It's not something we can do on demand. I mean, it's mama's <laughs> fish house. Nobody has that kind of pull, but um, so, it so was, it was a community uh, favor and it was, it was much, much appreciated. Um, you know, so that, yeah. So, Angika, I'm joking on this part. So, if I come to the Maui Comic Con, <laughs> can you pull me strings, man? Yeah, I'll uh, put my name on that reservation, too. I'll we'll both get in. <laughs> I'll tell my wife, not, nah, man, you got to stay at the hotel, man. You got to meet me over there at dinner. Yeah, we'll just do takeout. Maybe that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, too, I wanna, before I uh, start wrapping up on the Maui Comic Con section, um, also, Ed Pisker, before he came down, um, he mentioned that you were able to hook him up with some early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle issues. Yeah, I filled, I filled in his, uh, I finished his volume one Mirage run for Ninja Turtles. He was missing like three issues, I, and I got them for him. So, I'm sorry, off-the-cuff question, I, but how did, how did you contact Ed Pisker? I was, so, you know, I, he first came on my radar, like I said, I didn't, I wasn't, didn't read hip hop family tree. I like the first exposure to him was X-Men grand design. Yes. And that was like, I loved X-Men grand design. That was like amazing to me. It was like yeah. the best thing from Marvel comics in a long time. And so I was just kind of fixated that started following him. And then all of a sudden he starts this channel with another comic creator, Jim rug. Yes. And also Tom Scioli. They're all from the same area and they're good friends. And, uh, I, I was there from before episode one. I subscribed to the channel before they dropped their first episode when they were doing teasers. And so the audience is small. Yes. And I, you know, luckily I, I, I kind of specialized in undergrounds and independence mm -hmm. and weird stuff. So, and turtles, Ninja Turtles, especially that is like my forte. I am a huge shellhead. That is the one thing that I am like closer to an expert than anything else in comics mm -hmm. is turtles. Um, so yeah, I, I heard they wanted some of that. I've sent, I've sent them a bunch of Hawaii comics they've opened on their show. That I've, through the, if you watch Cartoonist Kayfabe, if you watch their episodes, mm -hmm. there are quite a bit of times where they interact with me directly where I sent them a package or I sent them something. And they're just like super friendly guys. They're just into comics. Like yeah. no different than what that show is. That show is them. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are exactly like that. And some of the nicest guys ever and super into comics, super into the academia of it. And I am like very, you know, I, I love that. I love their channel. Mm -hmm. uh, I love everything it's about. So if you, if you actually go check out their recent episodes, they have like three or four episodes they filmed on Maui. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I actually appear in a couple of those episodes. There's, there's an interview with Reed Kikua Johnson on the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. That was filmed in my office. Oh, uh, if you nice. recognize those VHS tapes in the back, that's, that's the background for Reed's okay. interview. Um, and then we did All-Star Hawaii comics, comics only by Hawaii creators. That was done also here in my office. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah we did a couple. Of, and there was another episode in my garage where we went through some dusty dollar bins. But the, those guys just love comics. And if you love comics, then it's easy to get along with them. So I'm going to ask, so, how did, so that's a perfect segue. So how did, how did that come? How did you come on Cartoonist Cafe, babe? Did, did they approach you or? No, no. I, so, I mean, it was kind of just natural, symbiotic. Like, I, you know, I, I, when the channel was going, mm 
and I sent them some comics. They opened them on air and uh, it kind of just opened a dialogue and, uh, you know, talk story here and there. Um, I don't know if you recall, but we also, uh, Victoria Bakshi, the daughter of Ralph Bakshi, um, did a huge favor for Maui Comic Con and about uh, two years ago before the pandemic, um, got Cartoonist Kayfabe an exclusive interview with Ralph Bakshi. So if you go, if you watch the Ralph Bakshi interview on Cartoonist Kayfabe, uh-huh. uh, they talk about the Maui Comic Con at the beginning of that episode too. And, and that was actually supposed to be a segue to their appearance in 2020. Yes. Um, the, they were supposed to appear in 2020 as Cartoonist Kayfabe but the pandemic happened. Yeah. And so um, luckily we, you know, but we've, we've been talking back and forth. It was like, it was not like some great ice breaking. It was like, you know, we were just kind of nerding out about comics. They obviously want to travel and check out Maui. So it's kind of like a natural, natural progression. Ah, nice. Now uh, um, I'm, I'm just asking you, um, you know, um, are you guys going to have another convention this year? And if you do, when will it be? So the conventions now are going to be scheduled for December. Okay. We are, I mean, as of right now, December, 2022, we're planning on doing a Maui comic-con again. Um, we're just trying to figure out what that looks like because it was, this convention was at an odd time. It felt like we were coming out of the biggest, most dangerous part of coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, we were still just on the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omicron had not become like a gigantic thing. People were feeling a little more comfortable as long yeah. as they were doing safety precautions um, gathering, uh, in public again, it was kind of like this weird, everybody coming out of their hole kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on, you know, after our convention, that's why I'm saying it was perfect timing because mm-hmm. our event was safe. Uh, you know, no, no contact tracing mm-hmm. showed our yeah. event to be a super spreader event. It was actually really safe the way we did it. Um, we had a vaccine drive that, uh, vaccinated 55 new people. That's um, nice. Yeah, we worked with the Department of Health to do that. I mean, we, I, like I said, our, when your main consideration is the community, you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. And always, 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 that's what the Maui Comic Con's main consideration is. That's what my main consideration as the owner of Maui Comics usually is, is the, the community is the only thing you really should be focusing on, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. Um, all the other stuff comes naturally, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, making big sales or whatever once you once you have the community interested engaged every everything else will just happen you know no i'm just asking but yeah so so on that about the convention coming up then the omicron wave hit new year's and it like it really put a damper on gathering again and uh it kind of exploded and we're here right now uh we're i guess it's more of the wait and see game but we've been doing that for the past two years almost three years now so it's that that's what it is, but we're hoping for December, 2022. Now I understand if you can't drop names or anything, um, are you working on who, who will be coming down for the convention? I mean, the obvious name, uh, is Frank Cho. Frank Cho is oh. going to be there. Frank Cho's coming <laughs> back tomorrow. If, if it, if it's just the Frank Cho con, that's fine by us. And that's fine by Frank. And I'm sure it's fine by the entire community. Mm-hmm. Um, He's going to be bringing some friends with him. But right now, we'll just tell you that December 2022, Frank Cho at the Maui Comic Con, that is a safe bet. Okay. All right, listeners, I'm sorry. I know there's a dead silence because, and Ali can see me like. Yeah, you're like trying to do the math, figure out. 
How can I tell my wife even wanna, to like, go to Maui for the weekend? <laughs> some of those, some of the names that they told me are just like my brain like melted. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe like the caliber of people they were talking to me about. I'm just like, oh my word. So, you know, growing pains where Maui Comic Con is working on becoming the convention that can facilitate um, these massive guests and, and still keep it as an intimate experience. I mean, we don't want the soul of the event to be compromised. We want it to really be about the community, remain free always, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and to our listeners, I've never been to, um, to actually, I've never been to Maui. I've been to Maui a couple of times. I've never been to Maui Comics and Collectibles. I've never been to the convention. I remember you, yeah, I remember that 2017 during the interview goes, just come on down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, just come. <laughs> a lot of Oahu people make a weekend out of it. There's some people who come from Oahu to be vendors or do with the artist alley. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of Oahu people. And if you just check in with the rest of the comic community, the nerds, uh-huh. You could team up with a group and have like your little travel group from Oahu. like a lot. Some people share rooms, you know, uh-huh. some people that's like their lunch and dinner crew, um, you know, and we always have like a mid con party for all the exhibitors and artists oh. where we like, you know, the whole reason we all get together is so we can hang out. Yeah. A lot of people are too busy at the convention. So that's when, you know, we have a mid con party for, for all of, you know, us can, the people putting on the convention to, mm-hmm. uh, to yeah. hang out and talk story. Okay, so before I can before I start moving on, uh, one last thing, Alika, I just gotta say, um, one day I'm gonna be there. <laughs> I'll let you know, man. I hope so, man. Yeah, whether it's for the convention or if you're just on Maui, mm-hmm. come hang out. It'd be it'd be good to see you again, man. All right, um, I'm gonna start moving on because I know I gotta start. I gotta start wrapping things up. So, um, I probably won't focus on this section much because I'm because I probably would do another. I may talk to you, try to figure out another episode. Um, okay. The Nerd Watch podcast. How did that come about? I mean, that existed before my store. Okay. Uh, they they were a nerd and comic culture podcast, uh, and it was started by G Money, uh-huh. uh, Greg, uh, and um, Barry Barry Worst, Professor Barry Worst. Uh, he's a film critic with uh, the Hawaii uh, Film Critics Society and Maui Time, um, and uh, Jason David, otherwise known as Format. Oh, um, okay. And Amber, uh, Amber No, uh, she was her screen name was Digit, and the tech guy was James Welch. Um, I think that was the main cast of the original Nerd Watch, and uh, you know they would talk about different things. Uh, and then how we met, yeah. there was a comic trade night as I was beginning to open my store. As I was moving towards opening my store, mm-hmm. uh, some mutual nerd friends were like, "Hey, you guys got to talk story." And so they, G Money interviews me <laughs> and conveniently loses the episode. I think it was because I was, I was too good. I outshined G Money on his own podcast. Uh, but that episode has never aired. But that was our first interaction. And when I opened the store, it, this is around episode 60 of the Nerd Watch. They start recording it in my store. And that's when it becomes the Nerd Watch that most people recognize where it's Yes. G Money format still there. That's mm-hmm. where Gannon comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, after a few episodes, I bring Todd Bernardi in mm-hmm. and me, and um, and uh, it was just great fun. You know, Swan was part of it for a little while. He was doing the producing and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Bruce Hennessy. There, there's so many people that come in and out. Big C, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's really 
how I describe it and how it is, how, what it really is, is just a bunch of us nerds hanging out, talking nerd stuff, you know, yeah. um, just talking story, you know, giving our hot takes on certain things, you uh-huh. know, basic opinions and whatever. And it's just fun. You know, it's like just talking story, having conversations and, and, uh, and yeah, we, up until the pandemic happened, we were all recording in person every week at the store. So it was a real fun hangout. I think a lot of people joined us because uh, felt like they were hanging out too, you know? Because I remember, because, um, I mean, besides the audio version, but you guys had, was it, was it like a YouTube live thing? I, I can't remember. So that. they brought back the YouTube aspect. They're starting to post episodes on YouTube now because of Zoom, recording uh-huh. on Zoom. Yeah. Um, but we used to actually do a fully... Uh, a TV show on Akaku Public Access TV. Um, oh, okay. It was they. We would actually do whole episodes with intro credits and everything, hour-long episodes for Akaku, and mm-hmm. um, that was going on for like two or three years. I think we were on on that channel, so a lot of people found us through that. Um, but you know, obviously, it was difficult to maintain that schedule, and mm-hmm. and uh, definitely for the producer, Swan had to create an episode every week and upload it. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So they don't do that on Akaku anymore, but they are back on YouTube. Oh, okay. And then, um, are are they still doing it every Tuesday? I think they changed the day to Monday. Okay. Uh, it, it's been changing lately because G Money has other online shows. He has yeah. uh, the Big Fat Nation with uh, Neldon uh, Mamoud from uh, from Maui Watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um. Before I, I'm going to start slowly wrapping up. One, one more question regarding Nerd Watch. In your, in the com, in the comic shop, do you guys have, you know, like, do you have like tourists that come in and go, "Hey, I remember seeing you on Nerd Watch." <laughs> no, that is like the least common place that people like. It's, it's a. I feel like it's a small audience. Uh, I the numbers say it's a bigger audience, but I think most of those people don't even maybe make it to Hawaii who are watching. Uh, abroad yeah um i used i used to be really shocked when someone would say they recognized me from and most of it was when it was on akaku that's when people would really recognize us was when it was on akaku Mm -hmm. and because you know you're watching public access whatever comes on comes on Mm -hmm. um so sometimes it would be us uh that was like yeah i would actually be more surprised when people would say something about the nerd watcher talk about Sometimes they'd bring up something we said on the Nerd Watch. I was like, "Oh my goodness, there's people actually watching." <laughs> but it's you know it's fun, man. I you know we don't we don't expect it to be like this giant phenomenon. I think it's more of a a way for people to just feel connected to the co- comic culture and you know keep people updated on what's happening locally. That's pretty cool. All right, I'm slowly wrapping things up. Um, let's see. Um, how did you become an advisor on the Overstreet Price Guide? So that, I mean, that goes back to Bruce Ellsworth. Uh, I met him in 2010. Yes. Uh, Bruce had been an advisor since 1987. The guide, the first edition of the guide is in 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Ellsworth, obviously a pretty big dog in the collecting community at that point. He had mm-hmm. been on CNN. Uh, he had discovered the Blanket Salida collection. So he... Um, he becomes an advisor in 1987, uh, now considered a senior advisor. Um, but his health was deteriorating when I met him. Uh, so in 2012, 
2011 or 2012, mm-hmm. I start ghostwriting his reports. So he's like dictating to me what he wants the report to be out. And I'm kind of like just typing it, fixing it mm-hmm. up for him. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially how it went. And uh, Bruce was such a high up in that uh, price guide that he kind of just groomed me to be his replacement. And, uh, and that's, you know, uh, there's a couple of years where me and him are in the guide together and then he passed in 2013. Mm-hmm. And, um, and from then on, it's just me in there from Hawaii, the lone mm-hmm. overstreet price guide advisor from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for, and I'm going to say, even for me, sorry, this is an off the cuff question. Um, like what, what is it that you do? What, what does, uh, uh, you know, and a price guy do what what's your job or i to be honest i i think it serves better as a historical record of where comic book prices are because now comic book prices change daily weekly monthly the overstreet price guide is an annual thing um but i think there's a more academic approach to the way that we look at the prices because there are a lot of now websites and apps claiming to set the market price of comics. And you're looking at them and a lot of them will agree on certain comics, other comics, not so much Mm -hmm. radical difference uh, in range. But I think the fact that the overstreet price guide is informed by an older class of collector that understands the market trends, Mm -hmm. understands the forces behind uh, valuation of comics, the things that tend to move those valuations. Um, it's, I, I think it's, and the fact that the, the Overstreet Price Guide starts, the first half of it is written reports. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we advise on, on our noticing of trends and where prices should be moving up or down mm-hmm. um, and things like that, or, you know, things we're discovering about new comics and things like that. And that's what those, we submit a yearly report where we talk about those trends and, uh, and news in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think it's an incredible resource. I think yeah. a lot of comics uh, journalism is falling by the wayside. Mm-hmm. It's evolving. It no longer looks like it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and so I think, I think the Overstreet Price Guide is a very essential uh, tool mm-hmm. and, and a reference um, to just a snapshot of the industry at any given time. Mm-hmm. All right. Couple more questions. Um, how big is your, your own personal comic collection and what is your most prized possession in your collection? So my personal comic collection isn't actually that big because I read the Chuck Rosansky, Chuck Rosansky, the owner of Mile High Comics, he did a, uh, a guide to open your comic store uh-huh. and like 10 of those chapters are about the mindset of a store owner. And you have to click the gear over from being a collector, serving yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a collector, that's what you're doing. And then, and then being a store owner, serving the community. Mm-hmm. And they they don't they don't jive. So okay. either you're a store owner and you're serving the community, or you're a collector and you're serving yourself. So I, I got rid of most of my collection. I mm-hmm. rolled it over into the store. Now, collecting is a sentimental thing. I definitely am an attached person. It wasn't an easy thing for me to purge my collection. So I made a deal with myself that I would allow myself to collect one copy of every Ninja Turtle thing. So my, my home collection mm-hmm. is just a pretty complete collection of one copy each of all the Ninja Turtle stuff. I'm not missing much from mm-hmm. that collection. So that's my personal collection. Um, 
I, it's hard to like if you're talking like dollar value then it's probably my second printing of uh ninja turtles uh one that i have um that i i picked up at amazing comic-con actually because wow. i was bummed out because i sold my first printing or i've got quite a bit of original art mm-hmm. that i've uh kind of been just buying cheap stuff that i like some of it has gone up in value mm-hmm. since i've uh accrued it so there's so much of my original art that it really is some of my favorite stuff um i have a lot of original art from uh sam campos from the original pineapple man comics mm-hmm. those are those are like some museum level like i don't feel right owning them mm-hmm. i want to eventually find some way to convince maybe you know and this is just me saying it out loud i've made no effort to do this yet but someday um at least my Hawaii specific art, try to find a way to donate it to the Bishop Museum or something where it could be appreciated yeah. um, as part of Hawaii history. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's something that I, I just feel like I'm taking care of right now. I'm not, I don't really feel like the owner of it, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, there's so, I mean, there's so, as, as a collector, as a, the kind of person who has that sentimentality, uh, I could like, pick up anything from all of my hoarded treasures and just oh this at it depends on the moment like what is my most treasured thing what's going to make me have the most intense uh feeling Mm -hmm. or experience by uh you know looking at it um it changes you know it Mm -hmm. really does all right last question now for any visitors coming to maui where is the best restaurant and bakery to check out Oh, man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> okay, now we only got four minutes left, Alika. <laughs> I'm going to say, so let me go to the bakery one. Okay. There's, not one there's not one best bakery on island, but I will say my favorite malasadas because they're always hot. Homemade bakery, Lower Main Street in Wailuku. Uh, and there's some customers who are very vocal about disagreeing with me. Uh-huh. Um, I, will, I will hold my ground. Homemade Bakery, Lower Main Street, Wailuku. Best fresh malasadas. You heard it here first. <laughs> I got to try um, that when I get there, man. <laughs> but that is not to cast shade, any shade on the legendary Komoda's Bakery. People think I forgot about them. Mm-hmm. They are amazing. But when I'm at Komoda's, I usually get the stick donut just because that has like a lot of memories. The smell, the taste is like, just brings you back, man. Just, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I'm also going to say for new bakery, there's also Maui Cookie Lady. And she's like pushing the viral cookie game. You know, Ludacris is on that. The Rock is on that. So, you know, I'm I'm a fat kid. I don't pick favorites, man. I eat whatever's close. Yeah. So I those those are three bakeries. Oh, and there's Donut Dynamite on Lower Main Street. Uh, she's also doing viral donut sensation. She just released the ice cream malasada sandwich. Uh, so Wait, what uh, is that? Is that a yeah. real thing? Oh yeah, and. Uh, so they sell out often. They're one of those places that, you know, there's lines out the door. Just make sure you maybe you go put an order in before you go. Um, but they're great. Mm-hmm. Bakeries all over, man, that I really enjoy. Um, restaurants, I mean, same thing. There's just, I, I will tell you, my favorite burger on Maui, my favorite place to sit down with my boys mm-hmm. is Sheik's. Or, you know, I, I love Tasty Crust too because no, neither of those places – have really changed since I was a kid. And that's what's so nice about sitting down in them. Uh, prices are low. Food is the same as always. Uh, best hamburger on the island, though, Sheik's. 
Uh, I just like the way their their burgers taste. It's a very people will go there and be like, "Oh, Lika said this is his best burger." It's not like this crazy like stacked up with crazy ingredients burger. It's just like my favorite regular hamburger and fries. You know, every local joint does yeah. hamburger and fries. Like QP's does it, Sam Salto does it. I just I prefer Sheik's burger. Something about the way they do their burger is uh, mm-hmm. crispy on the outside. It's real good. All right. Um, any closing words to our listeners? Um, I, I hope you guys read more comics. I hope you guys are able to join us at Maui Comic Con sometime if you're not on Maui. If you are on Maui, come uh, hit me up, pick up some comics, send me your wish list. I got a lot of weird stuff in the, in the back suck, so maybe I have it. Um, Maybe I don't, and you just give me your want list, and eventually I come across it. Other than that, I, I hope everybody um, enjoys comics and pays the love of comics forward uh, whenever they can. Don't be a gatekeeper. That's the one thing is, yeah, somebody wants to get into comics, let them get into comics. Like, yeah. who cares Who cares what door they go through? Comics yeah. or comics. Yeah. All right. So, Alika, I want to wish you and everybody and, you know, and your community who helps you with the shop, the Nerd Watch podcast and the cons, you know, all the success, you know, and Alika, you know, just mahalo. Thank you for your time, you know, for giving me another opportunity to interview you. Well, hey, thank you for your time, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and giving us a, some attention. Nah, man, because like I said, man, one day I'm going to be at Maui Comic Con and I'll give you a heads up, man. <laughs> you I'm thinking on it. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys, aloha. Aloha.